Hey, it's Ryan Rosillo, and this is the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on Ringer and Spotify. Really excited for today's guest, the Hall of Famer, Howie Long, is going to join us. And we're going to talk all sorts of things. Broken Arrow, Super Bowl win, Raiders, Lyle Alzado, uh, maybe break down the Super Bowl, even, everything, because we gear up for that next week. So that's going to be fun. We'll do a little life advice, have some NBA stuff at the top, little notes there, and also a, a message uh, about something that I wanted to share um, that happened earlier this week. It's the Ryan Rosillo Podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Life advice, Howie Long, and a little other thing. I, I know this GameStop thing is is just everybody is all over. It's incredible. And people have asked me to, to break it down. I know the very remedial parts of it. I also know what it's like to take a bath because people are at work doing stuff that you don't even know it. What's going on? You're like, what's going on? Because, you know, you're sitting here going, okay, this whole thing's rigged. This app, um, you know, shut down the trading of GameStop and some of these other Reddit stocks that everybody was driving the price up of. And, you know, I don't even want to go too deep in it because, uh, you know, financial Twitter is like worse than Lakers Twitter. But um, people are like, yeah, you got to do something on the pod about the whole thing. I- I'd say this is if you're on the sidelines, like wanting to get in, good luck. I mean, you have to be completely emotionally desensitized to really make it as somebody who can trade and handle the swings in a normal situation. And the swings specific to GameStop are all over the place. So um, I wish you luck. I don't know that I would ever advise it um, because this stuff is scary. And the weird thing about like the rig not being rigged and some of the really shitty things that are happening with this story is that I think people are learning about how investing and how messed up it can be. Like they're learning about it for the first time. So it feels new, but this isn't entirely new. I'm not saying it's the exact same things of some of the the bad, bad runs that I've had because you felt like, wait, you know, I picked something, I did things the right way. I saved some money. I wanted to invest. And now this thing just sort of happens. I'll never forget. Like one of my all time favorite, because I just did it because I was so mad about it. But you know, like a lot of idiots in an IPO, when you're the guy sitting there at your computer being like, hey, that's a popular stock. I'm going to buy that IPO seems low. Like, I'm going to buy it. 
and then it's just going to go up and I'm going to sell it, you know? And you're just like, all right, okay, fine. And when Facebook came out, um, you know, it was around 40, I think a share, something like that. And I was like, that, that just seems low. It just seems low. Like everybody has it. Like if a couple billion people have something, doesn't that mean it's going to be more popular? And because the stock itself on the launch and some of the banking stuff, it was just so toxic around it. The stock went down, I believe to like the twenties and whatever it was at the time, like it wasn't going to ruin my life, but it wasn't a great feeling. And it just, just sucks to lose. It's because I was still in that emotional phase of investing where I go, what, you know, why did, why did this happen? I'm so mad. So then you start reading more about it. I think, um, Matt Taibbi had that piece in the in Rolling Stone and you know, he's, he's incredible on so many different things. And it was basically like, look, the bankers had a party and everybody else picked up the tab. And I still was like, there's no way the stock is only worth this much. And, and granted, since that time, Facebook is ripped. But I'll never forget at ESPN, Sheryl Sandberg, who's on the board of Facebook. And if you ever read Chaos Monkeys, um, it was a guy that was like in the room for this stuff. And I'd read this years after I I'd had, you know, look, I lost some money on it, whatever. Um, and... I just remember like reading more about it, just being like, these people, like this sucks, this sucks. And it's always kind of funny too. Like there's, it's not a direct correlation to, to what I do, but there's a huge element of what I do where a lot of it is full of shit. Like, did this person get this job because of everything everybody said, or is this actually really what happened? And I'm sure it happens in your workplace just as much where the closer you are to something, the more you realize that it's totally full of shit. And that's this lesson that I, that I keep trying to teach people from time to time, not to be negative about it. Um, but you just kind of go up, you know what, like, (laughs) this isn't really what I thought it would be. And yet some of these people are succeeding. And then you kind of are at this crossroads where you go, do I just join in with everybody else? Because I think that's what a lot of financial guys are doing, whether you're a broker, whether you're running some sort of, you know, running a bunch of funds for friends and family. You know, I always kind of make the Edwards Jones joke, but I've had a couple of friends that like had their own branches and they've done really well and they get all that where I think they go, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a messed up world in finance. But you just sign up for it and see if you can survive. Like, okay, these are the rules. They're they're weighted against me, but there's still a way long-term to make money investing. Obviously, if no one ever made any money investing, then none of this stuff would exist. But I remember Cheryl came by ESPN to promote a book. It was this, this whole deal about husbands at home and the males in the relationship providing more support. And it was actually really great, except for the part where she was constantly badgering us about signing up for Facebook accounts. So anybody that she ran across and I was like, are we promoting a book? Or are you just making sure was this a, like a big Facebook sign up push? Like who hasn't? And she had connections to Disney and the whole deal. And she wouldn't let it go. And I've told this story before, but like the third time we're in a commercial break and she's like, all right, Ryan, you need to sign up. Here's my assistance card. She's going to get you set. I was like, look, I deleted it. I go, it just wasn't doing anything for me. You know, it, it was it kind of, you know, you're looking at this person. It's not like she's Zuckerberg over here. So it's not like it's her baby or her invention. But I was just like, look, I, you know, it's not really for me. And then finally, and she brought it up again. I go, yeah, you know, I got kind of hosed in that IPO. So, you know, it was still stings a bit. And Van Pelt's jaw just drops, puts his head down. Like, I can't believe you said that to her. And it felt good. It felt good because it was like my moment of, I didn't really know what the rules were. I tried to get my chunk, even though I didn't really understand how screwed up some of the IPO stuff is. And that's why IPO, like they're on a tear again now. And you're like, so what am I supposed to do? Just buy these all up now because they go up. I mean, that seems sort of flawed. So I'd say this, um, good luck. (laughs) But uh, clearly after some of the things that were written about me this past year, I'm obviously rooting for the hedge funds. I mean, come on. Um, and before anybody takes that totally out of context, like somebody that works, I don't know, I could probably name the papers. I'm not rooting for the hedge funds. Um, 
I, I hope the little guy gets his piece, but I worry about the little guy. And in this sense, I'm the little guy. All of us that are the outsiders are the little guys. And you do the right things. You save. You want to invest. You start putting that college fund away for the 2.5 kids. Maybe you get a boat one day. You know what I mean? All of us that want to do it the right way. And you're like, wait, what are the rules? And that's why I think some of the financial people amazed at the coverage of this because it's really been driven by Reddit turning into social media coverage and just instant, instant reaction all over the place. I mean, everybody is talking about this GameStop thing and the price. I mean, I keep checking it out the whole time and I'm like, I'm not doing anything with this because I know, I know how dumb I'm going to feel if I go up, oh, you know, I caught it on the bad swing. But, um, that's, that's why I think like the people that are in it are very desensitized, much like, you know, football players that hear people talk about the game of football in a way where like, did any of you guys ever play? Like, do you not understand this? Like they're desensitized to the criticism of their own profession. And this is an example of so many people that are not in it, paying attention to a story like this, asking good questions, being super critical for all the right reasons. Like I'm not knocking the criticism, but the inside people are like, yeah, you know, it's pretty, pretty fucked up, but this is the industry I work in. Okay, a couple NBA things that I want to get to before we talk to Howie Long. Just some teams that seem to know who they are, at least right now. The first one is Philadelphia. And it's a great win against the Lakers. You know, there have been too many nights. As much as I love the NBA, I'll have a few nights, if I'm being honest with myself, where you go, you probably could have done something else the last five or six hours. Uh, because I, I think there's only been one night I haven't watched almost all of it. And again, what are we all going to do uh, with everything that's going on, especially if you're in LA? But there are nights where the product, you're like, wait, who's out? Like, who's playing? I'm like, oh, what happened? I don't know what it is. I, I need to look into this. We need to get IT on this. But I'd love to know the record. And maybe it isn't. Maybe it's just one of those things that I've caught a few of them. And I think that's happening. But whoever wins the first of the back-to-backs, it feels like they lose the, they lose the second. But that number, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I didn't, I didn't look it up for the purposes of this. But Philly and LA on Wednesday felt real. It felt like, wait, a game that has stakes? a game with two of the elite teams. It seemed like people cared. I thought Embiid was incredibly aggressive. Like if there's one knock on Anthony Davis that you can kind of go at him, um, even though it doesn't always work, trust me, because it's he's so good defensively. But there's a there's an alpha thing there that I think we saw with Embiid a little bit against him that was, that was terrific. And actually, it was great too because the Lakers, there's some great, great numbers for Gasol individually defending Embiid. Um, they probably go back a little too far for me. Um, but with, uh, with Gasol's size, at least, and look, I'm not giving you a finals preview here, but it just felt good to go, wait, we got a last second shot here with Tobias Harris. The Lakers on their end had this big comeback. They ran this play. Another thing, um, that we'll get to with the Lakers is that closing lineup, but at least for Philadelphia, we know right now they sit at 12th offensively, fifth defensively, they're number eight in net, but you know, they're on top of the East. So I thought that win was terrific. I thought there are two games against Boston. It was kind of horrifying that, you know, you pay this money to Tristan Thompson. Again, it's not a huge commitment, but it's still a lot of money. It's not like he's getting one or two million bucks here. They threw him a decent amount of cash. And I don't know that the Tristan part is working out that great. And specifically to Embiid, if they were to face up against them, you know, that's a problem. But then again, on the Boston side, no Tatum for either of those games. So he Tatum hadn't played for like two weeks. And then there's always the Ben part. I was going through some of the Ben fourth quarter stuff and specific to like game situation. I was going through all sorts of numbers. He just doesn't shoot. He's not going to take any shots there. Maybe you'll find something different if if you want to sort it a different way. But when I was sorting all the different ways you could look at him taking shots in big moments, 
it gets it's like less than a a, a shot per game in all of those moments. And maybe it's still a little too early, but it, it's kind of what I see. My eyes tell me, you know, he's part of the offense, but he sort of isn't. But it hasn't mattered because if they're winning games, and that's really what it comes down to. So as much as we all want to see them play together in a way that's never going to happen, uh, and we've been on this for years, the the Philly part of this is, well, it, does it matter if it works if they're actually winning games? And and that's kind of the, the argument ender. Whatever we wanted it to be, again, isn't going to happen. But if they were to be the one seed and actually have a deep playoff run, does that mean it's working even if it's not working the way we want it to work? Because that's that's probably just a dumb thing to keep waiting for. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Nets thing where I've talked about how bad their defense looks, even with Harden, because it does. But they're so incredible in the fourth quarter with that 134 per 100 possession ranking since Harden has come over. I don't know if that that dipped a bit on, from Wednesday's game. But I'll look at the Nets again. You know, I think they need a Matt Barnes. I think they need maybe one crazy guy or Draymond because Clay's reserved. Steph is reserved. Durant is reserved. That they need one in-your-face guy on that roster. I really believe in that. I think everybody needs it. It's not impossible to win without it, but I do like to have that kind of guy. I think the Nets kind of need one of those guys, but then I'll go, all right, is it, does it mean they can't come out of the East? No, not what I'm saying. I just would like that kind of person on the Nets roster. The same way I'd like some of the Ben stuff to look better offensively, but if this is the way they're going to start playing um, throughout the rest of the season, then we have something special here. But that's the other challenge with this entire season is you'll, you'll start to get to know a team or you think you get to know a team and you can't. Like, I really like Boston at points this year, but I don't know what to do with them. I mean, they they had stretches all year last year where I go, I, I'm just, I wasn't as high on them as I needed to be. You know, that team still almost came out of the East. They were going to beat the Lakers in the finals, not with that front line. But yet, when you're never collectively together, where it's Kemba missing games, Tatum missing games, Marcus Smart thinking that he's Chris Paul, you know, Jalen Brown has taken it to an even further level, which, you know, I was surprised the level that he was below this. Now we're on a completely different level with him getting 27 a game. So the Celtics, when everybody's there, are going to be really, really good. Um, but I don't know if anybody necessarily is, is totally separated in them. I just, I kind of like what I've seen from Philly. I like, I like that win. I just like that win a lot. Cause it felt like a real basketball game this season. Speaking of LA and I'll make this a little shorter seventh offensively far and away. Number one on defense. I know they, they look just flat against Detroit, uh, and the loss on Thursday night, number one in net going into that game. But the small unit they used to close, you know, as much as Anthony Davis, every time I'm watching the Lakers, I, there's, a, there's a few things here with the Lakers that I really love. One is I think they know exactly who they are, even though they're new pieces. And this gives them a massive advantage over everybody else trying to figure this stuff out. All right. I mean, even with the losses this week, not a big deal. I just, I like who they are and there could be an even worse stretch in the regular season. And it's, it's probably just not going to throw me off of them. Okay. The other part of this is the small unit they used to close where it's Davis, LeBron, Dennis Schroeder, and then KCP and Alex Caruso. Caruso's in there defensively. Unfortunately for them on the Harris call, they got him in the switch. Harris got enough size to shoot over the top of him. So whatever, not the end of the world there. But that's always the thing that we wanted. And we saw more in the playoffs where, you know, Davis just doesn't want to play the five. And they've done these big lines because Saul's been more involved than I thought he would be. You know, Montrez has had his moments and they've definitely tried to get him involved in the offense a little bit more, all while LeBron is doing all this stuff and and just hitting a million shots. I mean, his three-point shooting this year from LeBron is just so stupid. I mean, he's hitting unbelievable shots every night. That game against Cleveland where he goes for 40, I'm like, who is this guy? So I like that this small unit 
um, that also has Caruso and and Pope as their best three-point shooters that are out there. And then in a very limited sample here in 19 minutes um, from something I was reading, their 51 net rating in those 19 minutes. So um, not a ton, but you're seeing it a little bit more now on the last stretch of games that they've had. And finally, where are my Jazz fans at? You're like, how about us, dude? Yep, 14-4, and four, best record in the NBA. Uh, I think a full game now better than the Lakers. They were 4-4. Four and four. They've won 10 in a row. I was listening to the Woj pod. He had Mike Conley on. I suggest you listen to it because Conley was so great in the confidence that he'd had in himself off of last year's bad season because Conley's numbers, if you go by certain metrics, the worst season he had had in about 10 years. Now, some of the raw numbers don't look that much better. He's shooting it better. He's passing it better. And he just looks like a different guy who his personality is such. And Conley is, you know, he's one of the few guys I've got to meet a couple times. He's so likable. He's so nice that this is just a theory. I almost feel like him being new with Mitchell and Gobert already in place and a jazz team that's been pretty good, that he was a little too deferential in his first year with them. And then he misses time with the injury. And then he comes back against the jazz. You're like, oh, wait, like this is the guy. Like I never really felt like we got the version of him in the first run through before the injury that I expected him to be in, be in Utah because I've always felt like he can play in a bunch of different ways. He can play on, he can play off the ball. You can use him as a spot shooter, but it felt like he wasn't playing the game mentally aggressive enough um, last season. That has been different this year. And then you got the rest of the stuff. They're number five in offense. They're number three in defense. Number three in net rating overall. Number one in net rating since they put together this run. They're the best rebounding team in the NBA. And if you look at the advanced stuff, here's who's up from last year. So where are they from last year to this year? Conley is up. Gobert is up. Royce O'Neal's even up. Ingles is way up. Clarkson is way up. Favors is up marginally. Donovan Mitchell's the same, but ever since Shaq said, hey, you're not Jordan, basically, and I know that I'm being a little dramatic with that, but I think that turned into like, okay, Shaq was just saying, like, I don't think you're in that top, top tier, and it's kind of weird to say to a dude, but I'd rather that than a college basketball show where it's a bunch of former college basketball coaches defending every single college basketball coach because they're all waiting to get a job again, or they don't want to make anybody upset at all their banquets. So um, when I look at at the Mitchell stuff, like he's been the same. The only guy that's really down is Bogdanovich. Okay. So there you go. Everybody is better except for one guy in Bogdanovich who's been shooting worse this year and is another has gone through like another bad stretch after looking like he was going to fix it a bit earlier this month. Um, but that's who you have with the Jazz. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of stuff there that that makes them complete. And they do have more options. And Gobert, the blocking and the rebounding is way up, which means he's more engaged, which means the defense is more engaged. And it's all without really taking any more shots. He's about the same shots as he was last year. And Bogdanovich can't continue to play this poorly. You know, they're going to have some dips here a little bit. But we're talking about seven of the eight guys in the rotation that are basically outperforming who they were last year. Oh, one last final kind of NBA observation note here. Hey, I know it sucks for Bradley Beal. But at the end of the Houston game, I'm I, I'm starting to think it's a little bit too much, and I like Beal. All right, there's there's no you're not going to hear any anti Beal. The only time I've ever been down on Beal is probably because I loved him so much out of Florida. Like seriously, that's how much I loved him that I felt like he was almost a little underwhelming based on my own personal expectations for him. And so now he's been that guy. And I know that it's not a fun time to get out there and have the worst record in the NBA. By the way, they have the worst record in the NBA, and they're only two and a half games out of the A seed in the East. So Wiz fans, don't give up. I couldn't believe that when I saw it. Worst record in the league, two and a half, two and a half out. Oh, but let's add playing games too, just in case. All right. So the the Beal pouting deal, I personally am I get it, but I'm also over it. And according to to some, they'd say he wanted Westbrook there. I, I honestly, if I were a Wizards fan, I'd want Wall back. 
Like, can we have him back? Because, you know, Westbrook now he's hurt. Um, that's the excuse. Maybe he's dinged up. Maybe he's never going to be the same guy, but he's still going to be like, all right, fine. He's hurt. So what does that mean? I, I'm still going to get 20 shots up again. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, you're, you're in the wrong by not speaking out. Um, you're in the wrong if you're a professional NBA broadcaster and you look at Westbrook and go, yeah, you still get a triple double. You're a part of the problem. So I would say in this instance, not speaking out about Westbrook's triple double because uh, he's right there again. He's like a, a point three, I think, rebound away from averaging a triple double. Anybody that's going, well, you know, in defense of Westbrook, I just out, out. I'll be out for the rest of the year on any of that kind of talk. Coming up next, Howie Long. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. The great Howie Long joins us, Hall of Famer, long career with the Raiders, and uh, it's good to catch up, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, I Folks out there who are alarmed by your minimalist background should realize that that's just an extra bedroom it's not that's actually not your room and you know people are probably thinking about finding you and getting you help and <laughs> i okay. i appreciate it all right he's yeah he's good. that's the golf club room that's where he puts <laughs> his golf clubs <laughs> it's it's been kind of fun to see some of the reaction like somebody somebody I, it was somebody else in the media I, I think doesn't like me and they tweeted out like this is what happens when you leave ESPN and it was just like a screenshot of me in this room and for me I, I can kind of laugh about it because it's you're right it is a spare bedroom but it does look bad and I just you know when you're by yourself you're like okay I'm gonna get shades you're like how much is it you're like god they're so expensive and then you go you know what I don't need the downstairs they are, right they now. are expensive but I'll, I'll give you a I'll give you a real great tip uh home depot does you measure your windows and you do the interior measurement and they cut it up for you right there and they're actually pretty nice see there we go that's not even an ad 
they're Montana qual like we we put some of those in in Montana and I put some in in our office building here in Virginia. Uh, so, and you know what? I like ESPN a lot. I mean, obviously, I think you know it, it, it's almost kind of like it's almost kind of like Johnny Carson, where you know, as a kid, I grew up and Johnny Carson was on at eleven o'clock in our house every night. My grandmother was watching Johnny Carson. It just you know, you instinctually eleven o'clock put on Sports Center, and and that's great. But it's a cast of literally, it's like Spartacus. It's a cast of thousands. So you leaving there, you know, finding your own way is probably a good thing. Yeah, right. And Spartacus, you lo- you lost track of people, so that's a good analogy. He did. You it's, just, just can't like, wait, not a movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you really? Can't. This is crazy. I started watching it the other night. There was a oh. bunch of them on sale. Ben Hur was there, and, and oh, the Great Escape, great. the Robe. You know, I, I've I've I watched them all. There's not enough overtures anymore. I forgot. I turn on Ben Hur and I go, "How no. long is this? Like how?" And it's six well, and a half there's minutes. A, there's a there's a pause with some beautiful artwork and music. Yeah, I don't know whether that's you know just the Christian thing to do, and you know, so you go to the bathroom. Uh, but Charlton Heston, I I met him a while back, you know, thankfully before he passed. That was a treat. I never met Kurt Douglas. What was the Charlton Heston meetup like? How did that go? Was that like an he, acting class you were taking? No, he came to um, he came to the the movie premiere that I did for, for Firestorm. Yeah. Uh, and was, it was really nice. He was just a nice guy. I've got a nice picture of him here in, in the office. Nice guy. And, and, you know, he was kind enough to say really good film. <laughs> <laughs> have you, you know, I don't know. It's Cause sometimes I'm, I'm, have you ever started to think that you're starting to look like him a little bit, which is a huge compliment. I don't know. Uh, he did okay. I guess for a long time. Uh, you know, listen, Chris was, Chris was explaining to me last night as he was putting on, you know, uh, uh, face lotion or whatever, you know, just some kind of, you know, hydrate, hydration, skin hydration product. I said, yeah, I use those all the time. (laughs) That's why he's always glowing. That's, that's, that's a good one. I, I don't know if Chris had shared with you because I saw Broken Arrow was on the other day and it was kind of on, it's on every, every day on one of the 500 channels on satellite TV. It's on all the time. I get, I get a residual check for, you know, maybe four or five bucks every once in a while. It's like, it's, I used to call it sneaker money, but that's obviously no longer sneaker money. (laughs) No, because you got sketchers just hooking you up left and right. So you don't need to use that money. I am. I said, if I ever made it, I would have a full refrigerator and I'd have all the sneakers I could possibly want. And I'm I'm golden. So you're good. You're good. Yeah, um, they've they've really stepped it up. So I've got some great stuff. Yeah, they're all over the place here in Manhattan Beach. You could you could if they change the name of this town to Skechers Beach, I, I don't well, know that I'd be shocked. The 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 owner, the founder, he was really sharp and early in I, I think in the seventies and the eighties bought a lot of property there. Yeah, he's got a ton. Yeah, and and their their campus, their main campus on Sepulveda is which I called for the first year in LA, Sepulveda. And yeah, if you wanted to remove any doubt that I was from Boston, I called it Sepulveda and, you know, I called Rodeo, Rodeo. 
you know what? I don't blame you on the rodeo one. Um, before I get to to start in the career and everything, did Chris tell you though after the last time I watched Broken Arrow how much I felt like Travolta just was a scene stealer when you're in the Jeep together? Like I just feel like he wouldn't let you breathe at all. And, you know, sometimes in basketball, you got to let the other guy shoot. And he was just not giving you the rock at all. And you just had to sit there smiling and gazing at him. And I, I, re- I regret it on your behalf. Well, it was what. No, I appreciate that. But it's a John Travolta, you know, driven movie. Uh, and, and I was only supposed to be actually I was only supposed to be there for two, three weeks. And I was supposed to die early on. And John cut a big hole in the water when he walked on the set and uh huge star, particularly at that point. Um, you know, I, I, I watched that Bee Gees. You ever watched a Bee Gees documentary? Recently? I've caught some of it. I need to watch the whole thing because I, I oh, know it's great. It's, yeah. it's, it's really good. And you don't realize how big they were. And, you know, you're younger than me. And <clears throat> that was when I was in college, that whole disco thing hit and John Travolta was the biggest star in the world. Uh, and it was fun to drive around in the Humvee and have a good time. And John would stop periodically in the middle of the desert and say, Howie, how's your energy? I said, you know, it's good. I'm good. And he'd say, I think we need some cookies. And, you know, they'd stop and they'd send a helicopter and they'd go get some cookies. We were in the middle of no, we were in the dead center of the state of Montana <clears throat> shooting some of that stuff. Uh, it was great. John, John couldn't have been any nice, any nicer. No kidding. That's, that's yeah, funny. He was, he was great. Unless you had to run for cookies. Uh, what was harder for you going from Charlestown to Milford or going from the East coast out to become a Raider after leaving Villanova? Uh, Charlestown to Milford was a challenge. You know, I mean, it was, there were just a lot of challenges. I was very fortunate. You know, I had an aunt and an uncle who, you know, had four kids, two, two were adopted and they, you know, my uncle worked in the projects at D street projects and, and, um, and was, you know, driving at five 30 in the morning into Boston every day and driving home in a Maverick with a hole on the floor, the size of a basketball. So it was a, it was a challenge, I think for them more so than me, you know, particularly the older I get, the more I realize how significant it was that, you know, they took me in uh, and I had never played organized sports and went up there to Milford and really didn't kind of fit in. One, it was really quiet. I didn't sleep the first three months because when you're used to that L train, you know, going by every 10 minutes in Charlestown, uh, right down there off of Main Street, you know, that's a quiet, quiet place. And, you know, it, it was a, if I hadn't hit that fork in the road and went to Milford, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am for obvious reasons. Uh, and, you know, Dick Corbin, my high school coach, and, you know, two or three guys that were kind of instrumental in my development there as a, as a player. And I uh, wasn't really a good player when I left there. But when I left my uncle and aunt, I was 6'5", 220. And, you know, we were, we were kind of working on a budget there, you know, macaroni and cheese and that kind of thing. And went down to Villanova, got a meal card and, you know, lifted for the first time. And I was 265 when camp opened and started as a freshman at 17 years old. What was that first year like for you then? 
Because I'm wondering, like, are you doubting yourself? You've got a bunch of crazy <clears throat> older guys on that team. It's a great well, organization. You got Al Davis. Like, what was that like? There was a lot to it. Yeah. I, you know, when you go from Villanova, where there's a priest on every floor and in the dorm, and you know, it's it's that kind of environment. To the Oakland Raider locker room, guys are smoking Salem lights, playing cards, and you know, it's a different environment. And you know, you look around, and it's Gene Upshaw, Art Shell, uh, you know. Cliff Branch, Ted Hendricks, uh, that whole group was there. Reggie Kinlaw, um, Matt Millen. Uh, it was a great group, but, you know, it was an eye-opener for me and certainly from a, a physical standpoint. You know, first day you're doing pit drills one-on-one in, in the box. I'm looking at the backup tackle and <clears throat> Earl Leggett, my defensive line coach, had worked it out with Art that he was going to slide me in in place of – Dave Browning, I think it was, to go one-on-one with Art. And Art just about broke my ribs and cracked my cheekbone. And I was like, wow, we're not playing Delaware anymore. Um, so it was it was a transition. I lived with a guy named Cedric Hardman, who was Joe Green's roommate at North Texas State. Cedric was a great pass rusher for the 49ers. They called him the gold rush. At that time, him and Cleveland Elam and uh, Jimmy Page, uh, uh, they were a great, great defensive front. He passed this year, and Joe and I spoke at his his service, and that kind of brought that whole kind of year back. And Cedric had a red uh, El Dorado uh, convertible, and I had a Coupe de Ville, and we were living in Oakland and playing in Oakland. I was making thirty eight grand. My check was one thousand seven dollars a week. You moved to L.A. the second year. Um... I actually kind of want to We stayed in, we moved in LA as a team, but we stayed in Oakland, practiced in Oakland, and every game was a road game. So none of you guys moved to LA because you had to be in Oakland. I lived in a hotel room at the Oakland Airport Hilton with Lyle Alzado in a single room with two queen beds (laughs) for an entire season. What was that like? Oh, boy. Lyle was uh, Lyle was the best. Uh, you know, he was. It was a rainbow of emotions with him. You know, great player. Uh, had a big impact on me as a young player. But Marcus Allen uh, and one of our linebackers lived across the hall, and Lyle at nine o'clock he'd get a piece of chocolate cake and a glass of milk, and he'd. Uh, Right after that, he shut the TV and the lights off and didn't even ask if I was, you know, done watching TV. So I would get a periodically, I'd get a roll away and go over to Marcus's room and uh, and sleep over there, watch TV and, you know, hang out. But uh, Lau was just like Cedric, Cedric Hardman, who I lived with my first year, uh, kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, hey, you're going to live with me. You know, so we split the room and. Um, I remember the first trip we made down to LA, uh, Lyle and I took a cab to every game, mm-hmm. you know, right after pregame, everybody else waited an hour and, you know, we'd like to get there early and the, we didn't know anything about LA and the cab took us to Dodger stadium. <laughs> Could you imagine Lyle <laughs> when that happened? Were, were you ever, was Lyle so on edge? Cause I know you've, you've talked about it in 
you know, plenty of times. I mean, this is this has been covered, but that he was always in a bad mood and no, he, sort of he wasn't. Knew it. He wasn't. Lyle wasn't always in a bad mood. You just had to kind of gauge your gauge how you how you approach the day with the good morning or the first hello. You could kind of tell. Um, listen, you know, if 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 you want to go to the extreme, he was a madman, and and and, and that's not accurate. I mean, he was. He was a sweetheart of a guy. He was uh, philanthropic. He was kind. He was also, you know, extremely angry at times. Uh, so I don't know where all that fits, but, you know, that's who he was. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you kind of changed it because I didn't, I guess the sense I've, I've gotten read about it is that like you knew when he was in a bad mood, like you could tell oh, yeah, from the instant yeah, that I, he wore, yes. woke up. Right. And then game day, game day, he was. It Game sounds day, like walk, he was he just would walk in, he would get dressed, everything but his shoulder pads, get taped up, put his cleats on, his pants on, you know, the gray's t-shirt and, and shorts and put his game pants on, lay down on the floor and go to sleep. He would literally just sleep in the locker room. And then, you know, we'd wake him up and or I don't know, he he kind of had his own kind of alarm clock in his head. And he woke up and put the rest of his stuff on when I'm played, and he definitely played angry. You win a Super Bowl just a few years in. You yep. were, um, that's the 83 team. You yep. were 10 and a half point underdogs to Theismann and Washington. And it sounds like, like, I've talked to so many guys over the years where, you know, if the underdog wins, they're like, hey, we never had a doubt. We never had a doubt. And there's plenty of people that don't do that interview where they're saying, hey, we never had a doubt. We still got smoked anyway. But the mindset of that group of guys, you know, that that'll go down in NFL history is this tough. Like there's tough in the NFL, but your group is always one of those outliers of like another level of tough. What was that lead up like to that game and just the confidence that you had against a team that everybody was picking because of who Washington had been and that offensive line? Well, it's it's multifaceted. It was a unique team. We we had lost to Seattle twice during the year, and it was just one of those deals where you just it, it was a funny team. It was a team that when they when we showed up and we were mentally right and focused and locked in, we could beat anybody. And then there were the two weeks versus Seattle. Uh, and then we dominate Seattle in the AFC championship game at the Coliseum with 102,000 people in the stadium. And it's great. Uh, earlier in the year, we had lost to Washington. Uh, Marcus was out. Uh, Cliff Branch pulled a hamstring early in the game. And oddly enough, we were beaten on late in the game on a Joe Washington screen pass backed up second long. Now, fast forward to the Super Bowl, uh, second and long, we pull Matt Millen. Jack Squire goes in the game. He's spying Joe Washington. Uh, and sure enough, we, we run a jet rip blue slash. I remember it like it was yesterday. I slant inside. Ted Hendricks comes inside. We bring the safety off the corner. Uh, Joe was backed up and kind of pressured and floated the ball to Joe Washington. And ideally, if we don't have a spy on, with with Jack Squirek, it's kind of the perfect play versus the blitz. And Jack, in stride, catches it, runs it in for a touchdown, and the rest is history. But we knew we were, you know, I never really focused on point spreads, but that was such a, 
an extreme point spread. Um, and they were very confident, justifiably so. you got to remember that offense had set a scoring record that lasted until the Randy Moss, Chris Carter Vikings. So put that in perspective. And when you looked at them on film, they were, you know, they were dominating people. I and mean, it was counter 66, counter 67, play action pass. Wide receivers were great. Uh, they were very physical. Um, and really, it was like styles make fights and styles make games. We matched up well against them physically. We, were, we ran a straight 3-4. And it wasn't one of those bells and whistles, three, four, where everyone's slanting every play. We just lined up, and and the thought process was, look, we've got Mike Haynes, we've got Lester Hayes. Um, we're going to be in one, you know, more often than not. And we're going to line up, and we're just going to be vanilla, and we're going to beat you up physically. And that's that's what happened. Yeah, because, I mean, statistically – it it actually I, it surprised me in kind of looking up some of the stuff. Like you guys weren't actually this incredible statistical defense, but then once the playoffs started, yep. you know you dominate the Steelers, you dominate the Seahawks, as you mentioned, and then I mean it's thirty eight nine against Theismann and that offensive line, and what was you know an incredible incredible watch. They, they went fourteen and two that year, and you smashed them. They were a great team, and and I, I you know. Interestingly enough, I and I didn't realize this, and I, I didn't. I came to know this when I I spoke at Joe Joe Gibbs uh, charity uh, banquet uh, a few years back, and came to realize before before um, <clears throat> they almost they almost made a made a tra- they made a couple of trades with us. I mean, one was we traded for. We traded uh, Lachey, our tackle, for uh, Jay Schrader. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, you just, the, the background of the impact that that had on our team and their team, et cetera. And, and they, had every, they had every reason to be confident. I mean, as I said, when I look at them on film and I watch a lot of film, uh, they were dominant and you're like, Oh my gosh, how do we stop this? And it's like, how do you eat an elephant? How do you climb a mountain? It's, you know, it's one, it's one punch, one step at a time. And, and that's what you got to do. And that team, when it was locked in and focused could beat anybody. As it pertains to this kind of matchup with, with Tampa and Kansas city, Howie. You know, I don't, I mean, the spread certainly isn't something like that. Um, I look at Kansas City and, and it almost doesn't matter what their defense is. I feel like they're one of these high powered NBA teams where you go, you know, fine, we're, we don't really stop anybody, but are you ever going to stop us? How does someone like Mahomes change what you do at the edge? And I don't even know if there's a Mahomes necessarily that you compare it to in your era, but yeah, just he changes, he changes everything. It's like John Elway. John Elway would probably be the closest thing to that yeah that's good um, actually that's perfect so what you end up doing is as a defensive end particularly in a three four you're you're almost head up and you're 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 in a two-gap stance and you're you're not really rushing the quarterback on first or second down you're you're hoping to get the third down and kick inside over the guard into a three technique and cut it loose and even then <clears throat> with john particularly in the red zone 
everything transformed into kind of a press the pocket approach. You couldn't come underneath, particularly on his ball hand side. If you come underneath on his ball hand side, he's bootlegging out. And now coverage is extended from 2.53 seconds to five or six seconds. And John could throw the ball, you know, 65 yards on a dime back across the field and eat you up that way. Uh, So John would be a great comparison. This guy's off-platform throws, and it's almost like when when the first – you saw it last week where he got immediate pressure. And it's like like a crossover step, duck, pivot, come back, throw sidearm – you know, you're almost better off not getting there quickly because he can avoid that first rusher extremely well. Um, I think the people that have had success against them or, or, you know, the model for success certainly would be controlling the football, trying to steal two, three, four possessions, uh, win the time of possession, play coverage, force them to be patient there's such an it's like asking a ferrari to go 55 and and you're you're constantly trying to kind of press their patience level and forcing them to do something they wouldn't necessarily do force a throw into coverage but that defense spagnola's defense at particularly at the end of the year last year was a big key and i gotta tell you the coverage that they put on last week was really amazing. To hold coverage, you know, to plaster a receiver for that long, even when Allen would, you know, break the pocket down, extend a play, coverage gets extended by two, three seconds. Um, for them to cover that long, there was no place for him to go. They played man. They were physical on receivers at the line. Now. That being said, um, this Tampa Bay offense, which has been kind of a, a, work, a work in progress for 17 weeks plus postseason, and really kind of, I think, hit their stride over the last six, seven weeks. Some say, you know, maybe after the bye or, you know, whatever. But I, I think they needed to figure out a way to – find a happy medium between Bruce's offense and what Tom's accustomed to. For example, Tom is perfectly comfortable with a 10, 12, 13 play drive playing mistake-free football and methodically just going down the field and scoring. Once again, it's kind of like Kansas City. Bruce is explosive. Bruce wants to take the ball over the top. Bruce wants to attack. And finding a middle ground for them, and and if you notice, the protection suddenly got better over the last six, seven weeks when they started running the football, running play action pass, and six, seven in protection. A lot of time, Gronk left in an inline protection, and maybe Gronk versus Washington, he was blocking the defensive end one-on-one in pass protection. Um, but when you have six, seven in protection initially and like a late leaker, you know, mm-hmm. out of the backfield, um, he's more comfortable. It allows the routes. You get more free runners. 
because teams start to adjust to Fournette and Jones pounding the I mean Fournette really really and and he it has it's look it's been a year of kind of you know it's been this kind of year for Fournette too Fournette came over there and one game he was an actor he was a healthy scratch you you're not a healthy This is scratch. a different guy. This is a different unless, guy right now. Unless there's I, a somebody, problem. Right. And and the impact that he's had on Jones and Jones Unless you're on the West Coast and you're, you know, you saw him in college, my gosh, is he powerful, dynamic, and his health is a big key. And certainly the two weeks is is huge for for that part of the equation, also for AB. But they're loaded at receiver. Um, Evans is big, physical, competitive, tough, great in the red zone. Um, Tom seems to have kind of developed a rapport with him. Braid has become, you know, what Gronk was in New England. Uh, he's been that guy, and Gronk's been, you know, kind of limited to inline blocking and, and occasional. And he had the one big catch last week, which was big, which was close to, you know, towards the end of the game, sealing the game. But, um, you know, they. I, I think when you look at them, Godwin is Antonio Brown healthy. Tom, you know, to say been there, done that is is an understatement. And the confidence that he gives is kind of the. I'll give you an old movie reference. Charlton Heston, El Cid. Here we go. It's the El Cid factor when he walks in the huddle. Everyone suddenly believes. And and it's true. I think he has that kind of an impact on that football team. And and I said this last week on our show, everyone does the prerequisite amount of preparation, practice, meeting, you know, all that. Then Tom walks in the building and you 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 blow all that up and you realize that that was that was less than what's required to be great individually and collectively. And I, and I think he's raised the level of understanding of preparation uh, and, and toughness and, you know, winning championships and what it takes to win championships. And, and they look to him. There's no question. There's, there's a lot of names, you know, you go Devin White here. Um, Boy, you could, go, you could go some of the edge guys. I, is he the best defensive player in this game or is it Chris Jones? Mm. Chris Jones is such a great player and I love him. And, yeah. and people people from the East Coast might not necessarily know that because it's, you know, it's AFC West and, you know, you're not watching those games a lot. But Chris Jones is a great player. This kid is a 245-pound heat-seeking missile. Uh <clears throat> He was a great player in college. Uh, he kind of figured some things out last year as a rookie and has really become the physical leader of that football team. But JPP ha- has been great down there. Um, that's that's another one. And, you know, their other guy had two sacks last week. They And, and look, you look at Kansas City, where's the weakness? right now it's injury to the offensive line 
Yeah, and it's still, I mean, not having Schwartz and people sort of forget that this is a guy that graded out as one of the best offensive linemen ever. Well, and their left tackle went down last week, yeah, too. Yeah, Fisher, right. Yeah, so that's a problem. Um, and Todd Bowles has a way of dialing things up, and JPP presents his, his size and length. You forget how good JPP was and is. Uh, you know, and he had the unfortunate, you know, accident and that uh, derailed him for a couple of years. But uh, he looks great down there and they get Vita Vea back and he's got one move and it's kind of, you know, I'm 350 and I'm coming right through your inside shoulder with a rip move and stop me. Uh, I, I like them. I really do. And their their secondary is very young. That's going to be a challenge. You know, they're aggressive. They play a lot of man. Uh, that will be a challenge. It'll be interesting to see how Todd Bowles kind of plays this game. Uh, and Todd Bowles, that's another example of why we need to, you know, the league needs to kind of push the, the interview process back beyond the playoffs and beyond the Super Bowl. A guy like Todd Bowles, who I think was, you know, just unfairly treated in New York. I'd agree with that. I'm a big Todd Bowles fan. Okay, I have a few questions research-related here. Yeah. Um, did you, when you were with the Raiders, hand your son Chris to a fan to get into a fight with someone? Yeah, it was a bad day. <laughs> what yeah, happened? I was in the parking lot at the Coliseum, and, you know, you're young, and, you know, I, I Chris went to very few games as a kid because I was afraid of, you know, the crowd. Uh, and I didn't want to worry about that because I, I wanted to f- focus on what I was doing and I didn't want to worry about him. <clears throat> and he came to this one game and I was injured. I had towards ligaments in my ankle and I was close to coming back, but I wasn't quite there. And I was, <clears throat> there was some fan, a couple of drunk fans in the stands who were yelling at me the whole game. And, uh, and then I was going into the the player parking lot was, you know, at the Coliseum was, wasn't security, you know, kind of carted off. And it was just a regular parking lot and anybody could walk in there. <clears throat> and I see these guys coming down the Coliseum, but by where the buses go in, you know, at the Coliseum, right across the street, that's where the parking lot was. And now I'm thinking, you know, okay, the switch is on. I'm going to, you know, I've I've got a problem here and I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it right now. And, you know, I was signing something for this guy and he was really nice, him and his wife. And I said, would you mind taking my son in your car for a second? And, you know, and now these guys come and they want to make friends. Of course. You know, which was awkward to say the least. But you know, then I took Chris and we we got out of there. Fortunately, there there was no arrests and no assault or anything. Uh, what was it like? Because I don't know if any of us true. Because you know, you just mentioned the Lyle Zato thing. It's you and a motel and a couple queens. And I'm thinking, okay, how could how could you have not been? What was it like going out? Because I know you're, I know you're not as rowdy as people may think you are because oh, you're no, big Howie no, Long no, Raiders. I, you're pretty, you're pretty buttoned up guy, but other guys weren't. So how did you fit in? 
yeah, I've never really been a go-out guy, and Lyle wasn't a go-out guy. Uh, so, you know, it worked out well. I mean, you know, there really wasn't a lot to do. I mean, you know, you're you're up there in a hotel room with a 34-year-old guy, 33-year-old guy, uh, who shuts the light off at 9 o'clock. So, you know, what is there to do? <laughs> That's still so great that he wouldn't even ask you. You'd be no, in the middle of no. a show and just no. go. Well, and, I guess the show and, was over at nine. And so. someone just asked me that question. Said, "Did you, what? Did you ever just kind of say to him, you know, hey, I don't think this is working out?" He said, "Okay, how do I start that conversation?" You know, it's kind of like know. big brother, little brother. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a young guy. I'm 22 years old. <clears throat> and Lyle has been through everything and he's, you know, it's like you go to Gold's Gym and he's benching 570 and he's like, hey, you got to spot me on this. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. If you drop that on you, I, I, I can't promise you I'm getting that off you. Just spot me. Deadlifting 570 off another guy's no, chest. Benching, is, benching. No, I'm saying you would be spotting him, deadlifting it off of him. No, just, like, it, I don't know what that would be. That would be like a bent over row. Yeah, it'd be even worse. Way, yeah, way even worse. worse. I mean, there's, I got no shot. He's dead. I've got no shot. The bar, when you put 570 on it, for those of you who haven't put 570 on the bar, it bends a little bit. So try to imagine that, you know? Uh, yeah, no, we had some great times. I mean, he lived in Manhattan Beach in the tree section, and uh, we would go there a lot after games, and him and Cindy, his wife, at that point, um, you know, she was great, and Justin, their son, who, you know, uh, who was just a, a toddler at that time. So it, it was great. It was a great time. Okay, last one. What happened when Al Davis... As you, I, were you about to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Was it a year out? He wanted you to come out of retirement four years later and play still? Oh, he called me. Um, I was in Hawaii <clears throat> at the Pro Bowl. And at that time, you know, and, and I didn't know, I, I, didn't understand, I didn't know that he understood, he knew this, but I mean, he had kind of eyes and tentacles everywhere. Um, I was still playing basketball at UVA. I'd go over there and play pickup basketball uh, when I retired. First five years. So I'm going in the Hall of Fame. I'm just about to turn 40. And I get a call from Fudgy, who's the uh, assistant uh, in the office. <clears throat> she said, Mr. Davis would like to talk to you this, this evening, you know, at such and such time or are you available i said sure and uh we had talked a lot because i retired in, in what was in his mind prematurely uh and he uh we get on the phone and he said you know howard called me howard you know always called me howard my grandmother and al davis always called me howard <clears throat> and he said, uh, you know, congratulations, you were one of the dominant disruptive players in the game, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I said, thanks a bunch, and, you know. And he said, you know, no Hall of Famers ever come back. And I said, um, okay, where's this going? <clears throat> and he said, uh, I'd like to offer you, a, you know, I think it was a two- or three-year 
guaranteed deal to come back and come in on third down. And for a, for a split second, you know, it's funny how, how many things can go through your mind in like a split second. <clears throat> and then I just said, you're out of your freaking mind, you know, and, and we left it at that. But he, yeah, he offered me a contract to come back when I was 39. And he said, I know you're in shape. I know what you're doing back there in Virginia. And I was like, how do you know that? Were you crushing <clears throat> these pickup hoops games or something? What was going on? What's that? Were you that good at pickup hoops that he was like, all right, he still got it? Uh, you know what? I think he just, he knew that I could still run. Yeah. You know, if you can run, you can, you can play. Um, but you know, little did I know right on deck were, was neck surgery and back surgery and, you know, uh, and fortunately I didn't, I didn't bite at that. Uh, and you know, Chris had to make that decision too. And, you know, Kyle had neck fusion. Uh, I was there when he had his shoulder and his elbow done simultaneously as ankle reconstructed. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's a tough business, tough business, yeah. you know, particularly when you're looking at it from the vantage point of a 60 year old you know, versus a 29-year-old, 30-year-old, 31, 32-year-old. <clears throat> You're trying to relate to them, you know, what this is going to be like down the road. Um, I get it now, and I played hurt and got shot up and did all those things, and, you know, uh, and you, you've been behind the curtain, and you, you understand what's behind the curtain, and you try to relay that as best you can to your sons. And we were fortunate enough to have two sons that played and had, we had uh, a lot of thrills. Boy, oh boy, you know, just, <clears throat> I remember getting stuck in traffic at the NFC Championship game in Philadelphia. And it was, it was, when I tell you it was chaos, it was like, uh, what's the movie, the election movie, The Purge. Yeah. It looked like The Purge. Downtown Philadelphia looked like The Purge. And we couldn't, they had the, the streets were blocked off getting to our hotel. We stayed at the Ritz down there in, in, in Philly. And the cops told us, well, we can't get down there. Best thing you could do is park right here and walk seven blocks through the crowd. And fortunately, Chris Long's our son. And they've just won an NFC championship and they're going to the Super Bowl. And little did we know they're going to the Super Bowl and they're going to beat the New England Patriots. Uh, God, those moments were amazing. Yeah, I can't imagine. I, I remember so sending much, you a so text. So much better than any moments that I had uh, as a player. You know, the, your kids are, it's such a thrill, you know. Uh, and Chris, who, <clears throat> you know, God bless St. Louis, but he was playing in a dimly lit mall for, you know, eight years and had 42 or 43 sacks in four years and nobody knew, um, you know, and that's, you know, he's, he's someone, as you know, who's a deep thinker and thinks about that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. We've had some good conversations over the years and, uh, I'm, I'm really lucky to be able to have some good conversations with him. <laughs> I get I get the dark ones on Sunday nights. Yeah, no, I'm I'm there. He's there. He's there for me, and it's it's kind of a weird thing that this late in life uh, become such good friends with with somebody like Chris. But I he's, uh, he's one of a kind. I'm man. really happy um, that 
you know, it, like I always joke with my buddies. I'm like, we never make new friends. And for me, you know, I don't know. I've known Chris for a while to become as close as we have. And then to have you invite me out and me get to stay with you and the family and getting to know Kyle and Montana's Junior. a special place. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a cool, it's a cool deal to be able to tell my, my father, my buddy is, I was like, yeah, I'm sitting with Howie last night, watching law and order telling, telling Charlestown stories. So down cool. there in that bad neighborhood where your folks are. Yeah. Out in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> trying to stay safe. <laughs> Martha's Vineyard, I told you this, I think, might as well have been Brazil for me in Charlestown. I knew it ex- I knew it existed. It was yeah. on the map. But getting there would be like, you know, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. It was, you know, no. No. Yeah, I can't Matter imagine. Fact, there was- we, when, when I retired, Diane and I went and looked, and I because I had this kind of fantasy about, you know, we could pick anywhere in the country. We're going to retire. I want to get out of LA. I want to raise the three boys somewhere, you know, that I think will, will give them a shot at normalcy. And, um, we looked everywhere and we had no preconceived idea of, and one of the destinations we looked at was Cape Cod. And I went down there and I wanted to see every place at its worst. So I went there in the dead of winter and you know what it's like in the dead of winter, you know, Hell yeah as lively and as vibrant as it is in the summertime, it comes to a screeching halt in the wintertime and there's nothing there. <clears throat> so I passed on that. Uh, that little romantic idea went right out the window. No, a lot of those places are, are real, real cool in a setting, but at least they got a bridge, man. You know, yeah. when, it, when it was hungry, when I was in high school, when you were hungry and not that anybody's going hungry, but like seven o'clock and if you hadn't bought groceries, you know, yeah. you, you, there was, that's it. I couldn't imagine. That was it. There was no, there was no options. I remember a couple college buddies came down to visit and we were goofing off in like the, some beach thing. We were going to get together and get beers and go down on the beach. And they were like, you know, do you have any beers here? And I was like, I well, I you know, I saw that in a shark movie. I think it was Jaws, right? <laughs> Jaws was Jaws. Yeah. Amityville is Egertown, but they, uh, <laughs> we used to have beach parties. And the funny thing is the cops would bust us in high school. And, you know, they just knew everybody. So you had to really screw up to have anybody get on your case too much. And then like, I think one of the cops was a hockey coach. So he'd be like, all right, hockey idiots, you guys stand over here. All right, you guys over here. And then there would always be all like right. a construction guy. And be like, and then the funny thing that started happening, although it's not funny for the people that had the houses, is there was this crew of guys that were older because people don't understand this. Like everybody thinks, you know, Silver Spoon and all that stuff at the vineyard. But there was a lot of high school kids that were blue collar kids that's families found a way to still live out there and make a living or bought, and, or bought the house in the fifties when exactly, it was $20,000. Right. Exactly. So and there's a lot of like old, you know, there's, there's a collection of last names of historic families that have been on the vineyard for centuries. So there'd be the guys that would graduate college or excuse me, graduate high school. And then there, there was no college that that was it. And so yeah. once high school was over and then they were kind of like, Hey, where's the high school party? It's like, Hey, you're 20. Like, what are you yeah. doing? And you know, they'd beat some of us up. And then, because they were so frustrated that, hey, this was going to be there. They were just going to be there the rest of their lives. And then this crew started finding different summer houses in different beach villages. And they'd throw these huge parties. And people would be like, this house is amazing. Like, whose house is this? would be like, oh, it's so-and-so's uncle, or it's hey, this guy, or it's that guy. Mm-hmm. And then the cops would raid them. And then you'd find out it was just some summer guy's house. And they were breaking into them and just sort of doing the rounds and separating them all over the place. And we were younger, so we weren't part. We didn't know other than, hey, we heard there's a party in Katama. Hey, there's a party in Wright Fork. Oh, there's a party at 
Kwansu or there's a party, you know, because you're just trying to find anything. And there was this right. this group of guys that had been out of high school that just said, screw it. And they were throwing this array of parties at all these different summer houses that were breaking so they into. Break, they break into a house and they throw a party? All the time. And then it's, then it became, it got really weird because a lot of the Cape Cod laborer types were cheaper than some of the vineyard guys. And so then we were hearing stories about how they were squatting different summer houses. And it got so blatant, they would just park there, live there for a couple of months, do a job somewhere else, and then move out. And then somebody would be coming down from, you know, Newton or, or you know, the North Shore or wherever. And they'd get to their summer house with the kids Memorial Day weekend. And it's been, it's been like a halfway house for two months for a bunch of sheet rockers from the Cape. So that was a bit of a wow. wake-up call, yeah. That's, 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 so there a, you go. You lucked out. You didn't, you didn't live there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had no idea. It was that rough on the Cape? <laughs> <laughs> the look in Howie's eyes right now, just zero respect whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm not asking for any, so don't worry. No, hey. no, that, Hey, listen, listen, everyone's got a, everyone has a tale of how rough it is in their neighborhood, you know? <laughs> All right. Point taken. Uh, that is the great Howie Long, Hall of Famer, Fox Sports. And uh, say hi to everybody in the family for me. I, re I really can't tell you this was a lot of fun, man. Okay, partner, anytime. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So... Now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, we got a couple here. Hey, Ryan, um, background, 29-year-old dude living in New York, decent shape for an asthmatic with fragile wrists. Uh, that's some specific detail there. I don't make much, but I love the work I do. None of this is relevant, but just trying to paint a picture. Okay, my family immigrated here from South Asia before I was born. My dad is real old school and hard to connect with if we aren't discussing concrete life topics. Like, what am I going to do with my career? When am I going to get married? He straight up doesn't like to talk. Old school, baby. Old school. Um, that does sound like it. I realized that I barely know anything about his life before me and my siblings. Well, you weren't around. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he also barely knows anything about who I am as a person other than the concrete life stuff mentioned above. That's not to say he doesn't love me, of course. It's just a style. I think he thinks the father-son relationship is more like dictator than friend. As I get older, though, I want to get a little more buddy-buddy with him and change the vibe. <laughs> I want to tell him more about my day-to-day -day life, and I want to ask him more about his thoughts, feelings, and experiences. I don't know if this question is too real, but you seem like you have a decent relationship with your dad. We do. We have a great one. I thought I might ask, um, how do I start shifting the father-son dynamic now that I'm an adult so my dad and I are more like peers You can also be bros? I can be honest, it doesn't sound like he's interested in that at all. I think you're... I think it's great that you want that connection. That's really cool. You know, a lot of people can get to an age, maybe, you know, whether it's your teens or 20s, I think that's kind of when you figure out if you're going to be cool with your parents, or you're going to resent them. Um, and I don't think all the resentment towards parents is all that fair. I can't imagine driving a kid around and looking over at him three years old, drool all over their face and going, man, this guy's going to blame me for all of his issues in like 20 years. <laughs> so, you know, some of it is unavoidable as the parent. Um, but I, I think we've, we've kind of hit this stretch now with some of this stuff where it's like, okay, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to, constantly go, Hey, this is their fault, right? At some point you have to, um, accept your own decisions. So that's not really what you're asking here. So let's get back to it. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing that I wouldn't understand South Asia. Um, I could assume a bunch. I'm not going to do that. Um, because I don't want to, you know, make any mistakes about what, what your 
your family history is like, if this is normal, if this is normal for, for you and your friends uh, from, you know, South Asia. So, uh, if he doesn't want to do this, like, it sounds like, I mean, it doesn't even sound like you've tried or maybe you have, and he's just blown you off. So, you know, this is not the greatest advice, but I actually could. I remember for Christmas, I wrote, uh, my dad a letter that was his present and it was heavy and it was, uh, it changed our relationship for the better. And it wasn't like it was bad before that, but whatever issues there were, they were gone when he got done reading that letter. And it, and it brought us together in a really close way because it also surprised him that I did it. And I didn't get the idea from anybody or anything like that. I was like, like I just want to figure out something really cool to do. And you know, I just thought, I pointed out some things that he probably would have forgotten. You know, you think about those moments in your life growing up where, uh, you go, oh, you know, he probably doesn't even remember that, but that was an impactful thing he said or did that changed the way I saw certain things. Or, you know, I, I felt this way as a younger person and, and he told me this, gave me this example. So you might want to try something like that because it sounds like it would totally uh, throw him off. And it might be, you know, not, hey, here are my complaints because um, you don't even sound negative about it, which I think is cool. You could just say, hey, you know, I want, you know, don't do it's like out of some movie thing, but like, hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm your son. You know, like it's a little weird, a little Hallmark cardish. Um, just go straight up. Like, hey, as I get older and become more aligned, I want to know, I want to know more about my dad. I want to know more about my dad before you had me. What was your life like without me and all that kind of stuff? Because of the written part of it, because so few people do it. And I know I've mentioned writing letters in different versions of this, but that wouldn't be that hard. And the thoughts and the feelings would probably just pour right out where you probably have too much stuff. Um, so don't overdo it with it. Keep it to a page and, you know, not end it with, I want to be your friend because if anybody <laughs> did that to me now, I'd be like, I definitely don't want to be friends with this guy, but he's stuck with you because the father son thing, but it may break just the mechanism of it alone may break through, uh, in a way that, you know, gets a, gets a reaction from him that he doesn't realize now, you know, who knows, then might be totally fucked. And next thing you know, he's bringing out family tree charts and you're sitting there with a pencil taking notes and you're like, actually, this sucks. I liked it better when we didn't talk. Um, I'm kidding. But I do think something like that because I don't know. I mean, you can't just sit down and ask your dad like, or you could do the totally casual way where um, I don't know if anybody drinks here. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, let's let's have a couple on the back porch and then you throw him a question and, and see if he loosens up. If that's not the case, you know, I mean, is he shooting you down every time you're like, hey, what was, uh, you know, so-and-so like? What was the town like? How did you meet mom? All that stuff. People really are really interested in that stuff, um, as far as I can tell. I personally am not, but uh, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You're going to try some of that stuff, but I think the letter thing, if the other stuff hasn't worked or it just doesn't open up to you whatsoever. And then if he doesn't do that, then guess what? You know what? He's just going to be your dad and you're not going to be buddies. That was good life advice. That was like two actionable things. Okay. Our man checking in here. Uh, Semi-short notice. One of my best friends asked me to go on a ski trip with him and his longtime girlfriend. He asked our whole group of friends, but the majority of them told him no because it was an expensive trip. And he again, kind of sprang it on us out of nowhere. I was on the verge of just telling him no too. Then he told me he would be proposing to his girlfriend, but he had not told any of our friends, not even our closest ones. He added, I couldn't tell her either. Uh, he said that he really wanted this to be a complete surprise. I get where he was coming from, but upon getting this news, I felt there was no way I could say no to him. Plus, I definitely wanted to be there because, again, this is one of my best guy friends. We went on the trip, and it was just them two, um, one other couple. All right, so, and another guy. All right, so wait a minute. 
So wait, yeah, I'm trying to think, is our guy going solo and then another couple and another? Yeah, it sounds like. So this guy invited another couple and then two dudes. So that's three extra dudes and a girl with he and the girl he's going to propose to. Maybe that's an unbelievable group of friends. I'm not even criticizing. I'm just saying. Oh, oh two third wheel. All right. Strange. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm in love. She said yes. All right. There's a bunch of dudes here, too. <laughs> What's up? What's up now? Um, the trip was even more expensive than I thought because we were a high-end spot with some amazing views. I loved it. We had a great time, ate really good food. She said, yes, everything was great. When we got home, I went to ask what I owed him for the spot we rented. And he, um, and he told me, don't worry about it. I'm just really glad you came. I'm pretty sure all the other guys settled up with him and paid their part. And he just covered me. This is huge to me because I'm clearly the least well off of the group. Let's just say I'm young and in the journalism field, if that tells you anything about my income. And the rest of the guys are doing pretty well. However, I feel like I ought to pay him back. It's not like it would bankrupt me. It would just put me back into eating canned tuna, canned chicken, and ramen for a little. Do I go ahead and insist I pay him back? Would hate it if eight years later he holds it over me like a stained carpet guy. Stained carpet <laughs> guy you know, had a major, major dilemma. Um, some of the follow-ups to stained carpet guy were just terrible. We're not going to read any of them. but. We appreciate your interest over here at the pod. He wanted you to be there. All right. He wanted you to be there at this moment, which I still think is a, I just can't imagine there's too many of my friends to be like, Hey, I'm proposing. Are you guys in, but whatever this group of friends are and that he wanted everybody there and, and that the future fiance, now current fiance was excited about this arrangement. I actually think that's great. I think that's great, man. That's like right out of a movie kind of friendship. That stuff doesn't even exist. It's just on paper and you guys have it. So cool. I would believe him here and I would not feel guilty about this. I mean, do you feel guilty about a lot of things? Because that my guess would be you sound like, a well, I don't know if you're a good guy or not. I mean, it's only four sentences here, but from this, you sound like a good guy. And I wonder though, do you, do you carry around guilt about some shit that you just shouldn't? Because this is not something to feel guilty about. You're not freeloading. You said you would go. You didn't know it was going to be free. He has this great weekend. You asked him to settle up. He didn't ask you, right? You asked him. He said, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'm glad you were there. If this is going to be one of your lifelong friends, then make sure you know that you need to make it up to him at some point, and you're not ready to do that. I mean, if you're serious, if you're seriously going to be eating canned tuna because you pay for the ski trip and that's going to go on for a few months, and he's already covered you here, like, don't feel guilty because the other guys didn't cover it. Like, there's... There's always these mechanisms, man. I remember, look, I was doing the worst for the longest post-school out of anyone in the group, okay? <laughs> Not comparable. No one was doing worse than me. I was, you want to talk about shorting a stock, I, I wasn't even offered as a price, okay? And if they had offered a price on me, everybody would have shorted it immediately, all right? So, um, you know, there were moments where I would go up to the ATM, a bunch of guys would be in town, you know, six deep, can't wait, the gang back together. We have a really good, deep group of college friends where they're all interchangeable and it all sort of works and everybody kind of brings their own dynamic. And my dynamic was that I'm probably going to need to borrow a hundred bucks tonight. All right. And it sucked. It sucked. I hated it. The anxiety of going up to an ATM and not knowing if it's going to work. And then your buddies in line behind you. And sometimes I would go last strategically because I'd worry. And I had one buddy, um, let's call him Darren. And he was always the guy that knew I didn't have any money. And he would go, you don't have any money, do you? And he kind of liked saying it because he was he's actually the nicest person ever, but he would just be like, what's going on? You don't have any money? And I'd be like, no, dude, I don't. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I thought I had a few hundred bucks in there. I don't. And then he would like hand me a hundred bucks and it was just understood. Just understood. He was he was doing fine. He could carry me. 
for that night until we saw each other again in six months. And, you know, if I could pay him back, I'd pay him back. But I also think, you know, although I don't know I've done a ton of great stuff for him. I've done some pretty good stuff for other friends. I'm pretty generous that way now. But that's the point is, hey, this guy did you a real solid. It's incredible. Don't spend time now worrying about something that you don't need to feel guilty about when he was just psyched you were there. Believe him. He's your close friend. He invited you to an engagement. He wanted you to be there. Believe what he had to say. Don't feel guilty. But know when things turn around for you down the road that you're going to make it up to him somehow. You know what I mean? And you can even, it can be a special moment. Be like, hey, that meant a lot to me. And he'd be like, all right, cool. Like, I really don't think he's going to sit here based on what you told us here in the timeline. I mean, unless, you know, the vibe of it was different where he's like, don't worry, dude, I got it. You know, I mean, unless he was being sarcastic. (laughs) Yeah, right. I roll. Yeah, whatever, loser. Yeah, glad you were there. We weren't actually even, but that'd be great if there's another version. The guy was like, hey, I was at that ski thing and he wasn't even invited and he sucks. And he told us he was going to, you know, put in. So, uh, I, again, I, I wouldn't, or you could do broke guy move, you know, get, get the fiance a gift card. I don't know. What do women like? Kyle Sakura? I'm kidding. Free back. Okay. <laughs> check out the, check out the perv. <laughs> Pushing the ones and twos over. I'll clean your garage, um, right? A coupon book, like the you know. What do what do women like? They like they like those uh, those hair barrettes from uh, from the kiosk at the mall, right? Just get her six of those. No, I'm just kidding. Um, is it? I can't even remember what the hell it's called. I actually used to have to put them in my sister's hair barrettes, right? Yeah, are those the those are the clips, the little wing clips, right? You're not talking about uh, the curl stuff, right? No, those are scrunchies, dude. No, 90s. no, no. I'm talking about college. Curls, like actual yeah, curls. Dude, scrunchies everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So um I would uh I would do something really nice for the fiance that doesn't cost you too much money. If you're really that worried about it, you could do it sooner. Or get a kick ass wedding present. You have time to plan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always late on the wedding present thing. So then I would make it up to the wives years later and I'd get them something because I was like, look, the longer you wait, the present will be better for me. And I'd be like, oh, whatever. And then I would, I came through in a big way. And then one of the wives was like, I cannot believe how great you are. You're the best friend out of the whole group. I'm like, actually, I'm arguably the worst. Like you got married seven years ago and I just, just lined up really well. Sent you. <laughs> yeah. Just worked out. We had a good, we had a good quarter. Is it frowned upon to get something outside of the registry? My first wedding, it got COVID postponed. And I'm like, I want to get my buddy something cool. He's one of my best buds. But like, I feel like the wet, the, the registry is going to be kind of lame. Should you just not ever go off of that? Like, don't deviate from the plan? A fantastic question. I cannot tell you how amazing this is because I was like you. No, no, no. Freight and barrel. I'm going to serving spoon. I'm going to get you something cool. And guess what? I, I just forget. There's still like two or three people. I think I still owe Anna a, a gift. Unless I got his wife a hoodie. I think I may have. I'm not sure. I don't know, man. There's like a couple weddings from so long ago that I know there's a couple wives that probably were like, oh, yeah, Rissolo, who didn't get us anything. <laughs> um, because I would look at the registry and be like, no, nah, I'm not a registry guy. I'm like, I'm just, you know, something from the heart. Here's what I would say to you. Just get it over with and buy the fucking serving spoon on the registry and get it done. Now, look, if this is your best, best guy, bud, top the whole three. deal. Yeah, maybe top three. Top, top three. All right. Okay. Do get creative, artsy guy, you know, sentimental, watercolors, whatever you think you can pull off, but know yourself. And in my 20s, the idea I was going to find that special gift in my spare time that was going to vibe with the couple and not just my buddy mm, oh, was not yeah, going to happen. Right. I mean, 
Right. Like, I totally would have not done that and got something, got him like a found wood table for his man cave. And she'd be like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. If I had a back of a baseball card and one of the stat columns were things he mailed, it'd be 10 years of zeros. <laughs> okay. So I'm not, uh, I just, you know, look, know yourself. All right. Know your own scattering report. You know yourself deep down better than anybody else does. You'd write the most honest scattering report. The problem is none of us want to write it, write it all down. So I'm gonna um, stick to the list. Thank you. I know, but I, I get what you're saying, because like if it's if it's your best bud. But I only know what he would like. You know what I mean? It could be something that he would like, and like his wife is gonna be like, that doesn't belong in our living room, let alone our house. What the fuck? So it's a good point. Yeah. Okay, I want to say something. It's it's a little sad, uh, but I wanted to share it with everybody. Ron Johnson, who was a Major League Baseball player, played 22 games from 82 to 84, two years with Kansas City, and then five games with Montreal in 1984. He's a minor league manager. Um, he was also part of the Red Sox coaching staff, and he passed away um, earlier this week from COVID complications at 64 years old. And so Ron, his, his son was actually Chris Johnson. If um, you remember Chris, who played with the Braves, played for the Strohs for a bit too, and then finished his career in 2016. The reason why, um, you know, it was definitely something that, that hit a little closer to home is that my first year doing anything in this business was 2002. I've talked about it before. I was with the Trenton Thunder and I was the second announcer for home games. And, you know, I've been over that story a million times. But Ron was the manager. And Ron was... One of the best people I've ever met, not hyperbole. He meant so much to me early on in that year because so much was going wrong for me. His energy, uh, the way he walked around the clubhouse, and you got to understand, like Ron was a big guy, uh, six three, six four, maybe, maybe two fifty, maybe more than two fifty. I don't know. He was a big dude. He had these big, big like dad arms. And he used to walk around in wrestling t-shirts with the sleeves cut off. And one of them was The Rock Says. So it was The Rock's face doing the people's eyebrow or whatever. And the sleeves are cut off. And Ron would come barreling through from the tunnel of the clubhouse into the front office area and be like, what's going on? And he had all this energy. And he really was one of those guys that, you know, people try to pull this off. Hey, make the people around you feel better about themselves. Make them feel special. Make When you ask them a question, make them feel like you actually, you know, want to know the answer. And that's Ron. Ron was that. And when I was, you know, there, you don't know, at least for me, I'm like, I don't know if I actually know what I'm doing. And I would just do a ton of work and extra prep and get ready for the games. And, you know, I've, I've told that story about how I was printing out all these different stats. I would just print out everything I possibly could and just pour over it. And he comes in, he's like eating a sandwich in one hand. I think he may even drove truck uh, in the off season. Okay. This is how like much of a man's man Ron was. And he, uh, he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, telling him what I did. And he's like, all right, make four of them, you know, meaning these, these stat packet things. And he'd be like, come on. And he used to let me sit in some of the, not decisions for the lineup or the rotation, but he would go over stuff like with me. And it was incredible. I learned more about sports. I learned more about what it's like to be even a pro athlete. Granted, it's minors, but it taught me the mentality and the day in and day out grind. It just, without that experience or without him taking the time over those months that I was there, it would have never, 
I don't know. I, I, I think it helped me understand these guys that I have to talk about now or get to talk about, I should say, not have to talk about, get to talk about for the last 20 years because it just, he's like, well, that doesn't mean anything. You know, I remember one time there was a guy that was at like 400, right? And he's like, all right. He goes, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, all right, well, I want to talk about the lineup a little bit. He's like laughing because the pitching coach and the hitting coach are in there too. He's like, what do you want to know? I go, well, how come you hit this guy eighth? He's hitting like four whatever on base. He goes, ah, you don't hit for shit. I was like, what? I was like, he's hitting 400. He's like, yeah, because I, I had him a couple years. He ain't, he, he's like, whatever. He's like, he's in 400 now. He goes, he can't hit for shit. And he was right. The guy retired. He was at like 200 from, I mean, he went down to like 200 on the season and the guy didn't even make it the full season. He quit, retired from baseball. And that was just one of those things where I was like, oh, what? And I don't know, man, it's just sad. A lot of us have, uh, I'm not going to pretend I was, you know, in touch with him all the time or anything like that because that would, that would not be the case. But he was, uh, he was a guy very early on for me that was super, made a big, big impression. And he was a good guy, man. And it's, and it's sad. So thoughts with his family. And I'm just glad I got to know him. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.